And welcome back to Next Scene Podcast, the podcast taking on Central Park, one eccentric character at a time. I'm your host, Sean, and unfortunately, my co-host, Brian, could not join us today. But in his stead, we have two very able and capable uh, guests to join us. Uh, first, from Time Bandits Minute and the Better Off Dead Minute, it's Curtis Blaze. Welcome, Curtis. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm so glad to be back talking about uh, the pigeon lady. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and, and also with us today from, well, for money projects, um, including the Groundhog Day project, uh, the king of the Lemon Drop Studios, it's Robert Black. Welcome back, Robert. Hello. 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 Um, and we're here to talk about part five of Home Alone 2. Part five is runs from a little bit after one hour to about one hour and 15 minutes. And um, I asked these two particular gentlemen for this particular section of the film because we get a lot of uh, the pigeon lady. We get a lot of time of Kevin in Central Park with uh, with PL. And uh, yeah, and these uh, these are the guests that joined us uh, for the motion picture coverage of our special Old Man Marley um, episode. And and being as sort of the pigeon lady is the is the Old Man Marley of this film. I thought, well, who better? What better experts? To call in. So as you uh, may recall from part four, part four wraps up with Kevin escaping from Harry and Marv running into Central Park. And as we pick up the action here in uh, in part five, well, before we get to Central Park, we're down in Florida with the rest of the McAllister clan. And uh, it's it's raining in sunny Florida. And uh, another we get another callback to the original film where the family is watching it's a wonderful life. Uh, this th- this time in Spanish. <laughs> um, I yeah. I mean, I don't know if uh, you know if there's he, much to say about these few minutes in Florida. Oh my god! But if there is, he sounds if a there lot. Is, you're welcome to say a lot. <laughs> he sounds a lot angrier in Spanish. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> in, in English, in English on "It's a Wonderful Life," uh, he sounded kind of in this scene. It's the scene where he is. On the phone, remind me, he's angry at, uh, he's chewing someone out because the of- The teacher sent the kid home. Yeah, that's right. The teacher sent the kid home. He sounds a lot angrier in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I- the, um- I think I've only actually seen the movie once. It's a Wonderful Life all the way through, so I didn't, I had to look up what scene this was. Oh, you don't watch it every, every Christmas? No. Along with Home Alone 2? <laughs> I certainly don't watch Home Alone 2. <laughs> I hope never wow. to see it again. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a yearly tradition in in every household. You watch It's a Wonderful Life in Spanish, and then you watch uh, Home Alone too. But uh, I guess not. So uh, yeah, so the family's watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life when the phone call comes, and they've they've tracked down Kevin when he tried to use the credit card, checking into the plaza. They know he's in New York City, and uh, and these are just bad parents. They continue to be bad parents. I don't know. I don't recall it. And I probably should know this covering the, the film, but I, I don't know if they, they explicitly tell us or we see Peter calling in the credit card as stolen. But now they they know Peter's or they know Kevin's been trying to use the credit card. You'd think they'd call the credit card company or something like reach out to make sure this this kid has a place to stay. Well, but, OK, so it's 1992 or 19, whatever year it is. Uh, mm-hmm. if your kid, if you know that your kid has your laundry or laundry, your, your, uh, luggage. <laughs> yes. 
and your and your kid has your credit card and you don't know anything else. Well, they don't actually know. Okay, remind yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, we did see them wondering when they first when when Peter first realized he didn't have his wallet and recall that oh it's in the bag that I gave to Kevin. Yeah. And Kate mm-hmm. says, well, I don't even think Kevin knows how to use a credit card, which one is a silly statement. It's one thing to be like as a shop clerk, as someone who has to process a credit card transaction. OK, maybe he doesn't know. But to use a credit card, you basically you make a purchase. You give them the card. That's the extent of it. I think, you know, I think a 10 year old can handle that. Well, there was more to it back back in the 90s. But did they even know that he was uh, missing let me say that differently. Did they yeah. did they know that he was alive and not kidnapped and, and sold into slavery at this point? No. I mean, did they <laughs> did they suspect that he'd just be walking around New York with their credit card? Well, they didn't know he was in New York. They don't know where he is until this point. Oh, they had assumed, okay. yeah, they had assumed missing the flight, he'd be back in Chicago. They last saw him at the airport. Okay, okay. So then the credit card calling it stolen is kind of a dick move, um, but. As a strategy, if it gets used, then it gets flagged, and then they know where he is, or at least they know where the people that kidnapped him is, or mugged him where they are. I mean, I don't. I, yeah, I guess it makes sense that like unless I, I'm they, trying to put myself, yeah. I'm trying to put myself in their place and, and wonder what I call a credit card in stolen. I imagine now. Well, unlike in the 90s. I don't know if they had to report it stolen. Well, did they have the option? There might be another way that police could track it. I mean, I guess they could have just said it was lost, not necessarily stolen. Yeah. But what we know is when when the concierge goes to run the card at the plaza, the, <laughs> the, the charge is rejected. Right. Yeah, I could kind of see. So, yeah, it does make That's sense. Interesting. We say concierge like we're not talking about Tim Curry. We're talking uh, about Tim Curry. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, yeah, the... the um, the mad scientist in the room, yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, so man, Well, the point I'm... You mean the guy who was just doing his job? <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> and doing it well. Well, the point I'm trying to make... Uh, the only point I'm trying to make is that I don't think there were the tools available in 1992 to just report a credit card, like, to see who uses it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or to watch where it's being used. Yeah, so I... That's kind of a modern-day thing, where... When there's a car, when there's a charge, we immediately see where it is and what it is. Yeah, I mean, right now I can yeah log into my credit card, you know, credit card website on my phone and see the last charge that went through within, um, you know, within minutes or hours. Yeah, so I guess it oh, makes yeah, sense I, if if the thought was, well, we want we want to be alerted when the card gets used because one, if it's stolen, we want to know, but if it's Kevin you trying to use it, we want to know where he is. Not necessary, and which all makes sense as long as you don't think, well, he might be using it. He might, you know, he might not be in Chicago or he might not be home and he might use it for lodging and he needs it to have a place to sleep for a hotel. So if he uses it anywhere other than the hotel, this all works out great. The fact that he is using it at a hotel and then, you know, doesn't have a warm place to sleep because then it, it falls apart. But other than that, yes, it does make some sort of sense. Not that these are that, that that makes these good parents. You know, there's all the other stuff they've done, <laughs> but at least this well, one the, thing. That's, okay, that's the thing. Is it about that's the thing about <laughs> these guys, isn't it? In the first movie, they had the chance to take a count, and they thought they had a good count because that one kid had wandered in. And in this movie, boy, you know these these are such there, but for the grace of God, go I kind of movie. <laughs> you know, especially yeah. if you've got 123 kids. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah. So the some of the the pitfalls of a large Intel family that you're trying to keep track of. People start getting lost in the mix. Um, but so the call comes through. Uh, Kevin, I guess this is. I'm not sure if this this is probably the Miami police that Kate and Peter were talking to earlier, but they say that Kevin has been found trying to use the credit card in New York, and so they are then they're going to rush to the airport or off to New York. From their tiny little motel. Yeah, from from everyone in one room, their tiny motel. <laughs> well, they do have two rooms. Yeah, they've got a uh, they've got a door they go through. When she goes to answer the phone, it's a second room it's with empty beds. It's basically the same situation like as you would have 30 years later in uh, Schitt's Creek. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just with it all, kids. It's all connected. Now, you'd think they'd know, because there's, a, again, more parallels and callbacks. There's a similar scene. Actually, the, the, the scene where they're watching, they're in Paris watching It's a Wonderful Life, and they're all kind of sitting around in a room. And, and I think I asked the same question then that I'm going to ask now is, well, they can go do something can't they like yes someone should be waiting by the no, phone someone should be like ready in case someone calls about kevin <laughs> do they need 13 people sitting around waiting for that phone call though they have to ruin everyone's vacation no i, I think they were trying to suggest they couldn't do anything because it's raining that's why they're all so happy yeah, to okay leave. there you go yeah certainly they're they're probably you know packing bathing yeah, they were talking about tanning and so forth. So they're probably planning mm-hmm. a lot of outdoor activities that they wouldn't be able to do in the rain. Though I found rainy days are great days to go to amusement parks because so many people won't go. They um, can, you know, be, if you yeah. don't mind getting wet. Oh yeah, for sure. It's great. It's not Especially hot. If... <laughs> it's not raining the entire time. The lines are short. The That's lines are I, short. Yeah, I I prefer to go then too. Yeah, particularly any any water ride, any kind of log flume or anything of that sort. Um, as long as there's no lightning and it's open, then yeah. And you figure you're going to get wet anyway. The water's coming up from below, from above, from all sides. Go for it. <laughs> the uh, So I don't know directly how they got here. This hotel room they're in is terrible. You know, yes. for a family that basically owns a, a 300,000 foot mansion yeah. <laughs> and, and can just on a spur afford... 19 tickets to Des Moines or to, uh, excuse me, to New York from Miami <laughs> that they didn't know they were going to buy. So they're buying the absolute worst kind of, of tickets there are. Why are well, they yeah, in so this, this room? Is... Why aren't they in the Plaza Hotel of Miami? <laughs> that is an excellent question. <laughs> um, and the answer is Uncle Frank booked the room. Yeah. Pete, uh, Peter and Kate pay for the airfare. Uncle Frank took care of the accommodations, which is why they're in this rundown yeah. motel. But that's a, a good point. And I think we've asked, or will come up later. Yeah, so last minute tickets. And I know that the issue um, in the first film was there were there were issues with just seats being available for holiday travel and then the weather with the airports being closed in the Midwest. Um, you know, that became an issue. But money never comes up of... Yeah, so we're talking about 13 people flying one way last minute between Florida and New York on Christmas Eve. Um, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's Christmas Eve or the night before, but basically a ho- holiday travel season, particularly uh, between the Northeast and Florida, where a lot of people are, are going to be going down south, and maybe the return tickets are cheaper because – who's flying north in the winter, but 
Um, Maybe. <laughs> again, again, to the question of does everyone have to go? Does everyone have to go to New York? Well, yeah. In the first Kevin? movie, it was just it was just mom coming home to find him. Right. Right. Yeah. They 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 separated. Now they're going to try and coordinate, which made for an actual story. <laughs> it's one of the many flaws in this movie is the this the parents being in Florida doesn't do anything for the film. Like Kate doesn't have a struggle to get there; they just get a new flight and then they're there in the next. Especially morning. in 1992, I keep saying that that's the year for this movie, right? Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, it came out in 92. Where there, you didn't, well, it is ninety-two specifically on the. You didn't credit have card to get thing. to the airport six hours early, right? You just went to the airport about forty-five minutes beforehand. If you had to take another flight, there was one <laughs> because there wasn't a bunch of security problems. There weren't, you know what I mean? It was it was just a lot easier in nineteen ninety-two to catch a flight. Yeah, but there's still issues. Then when you get to New York, you know, there's no cell phones, mobile phones. So it's going to be hard to get in touch with someone. And I guess maybe that's why they had to set up sort of the uh the, the uh what's the word uh, i guess they why they had to do things the way they did with the credit card because if they just say oh the card was used at the plaza well we go to the plaza what room is kevin McAllister staying in and the, the, it's a very short feature film at that point where so they need some reason for kevin to be afraid of returning to the hotel in which case you know in this case he's afraid of of getting arrested for credit card fraud so there has to be some reason why they can't track him down why they can't just wait for him to return to the ho- to his room at the hotel so maybe that's why they have to do the the credit card thing that's kind of one of the that's the one part of the script i kind of like about this movie where we have a, a little kid acting like a little kid instead of a terrorist who knows how to uh Stop the terror! Stop the bad guys and die hard. <laughs> yeah, right. He he's right. done something that's just kind of he's done something, and he doesn't recognize that this would fix all the problems if you just chill out and let it happen. Mm-hmm. Because he's a little kid, just thinks he's in trouble and runs away. Right, right. And and it, and it's he like not even that big of a trouble. He's like, listen, hey, I'm a you know, even though technically he did commit credit card fraud, like he is not an authorized user on this card he kind of used it in his father's name without permission like he's not really going to get in trouble like because it's not really his fault that he ended up in new york and it's better that he's staying in a hotel than on the street or in a dangerous construction site in an abandoned townhouse so like you know he's not really going to get in trouble but i can remember being a kid where like that was the worst thing i could imagine like if i just to get in trouble and not you know in situations that looking back on adult or, you know, even if I kind of take took some time and thought about it, then it was like, yeah, there's there's not going to be that much trouble if I just you know went with it and just said, hey, listen, hey, I'm alone in New York and uh, I need a place to say. So, yes, I use my father's credit card. What are you going to do? He doesn't even have a reason this time, like the first movie, not to get caught. He doesn't think his family doesn't exist. Right. Like he wants to be with them. He just went the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that is, yeah, that is an important point. Like in the first film, that he for there's a there's a period there where he really thinks he wished his family away. Yeah, and he's happy about so, it. So in this case, he immediately recognizes, oh, my family still exists. They're just in Florida where they should be, and I got on the wrong plane and ended up in New York somehow. Wow, I forgot about the thing where he believed that he wished them away for a while. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. because he's he's a little kid. Um, hey, just a uh, a quick geographical side here. Is this the plaza that's right? Next to the southeast corner of Central Park, 
Yep. Yes. This okay. is the Plaza okay. Hotel. Yeah. That's yeah, right across the street, uh, the southeast corner of. Uh, I thought you meant the place in Florida. I'm like no, it's <laughs> no, not. no, that's <laughs> no. <laughs> that's the Rochelle Motel in Long Beach. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, so yes, yeah, speaking of this, this precocious youth and, and which things he he does that make sense or don't make sense, he makes a, a rather rational move where he so he has his father's address book. He looks up Uncle Rob uh, in third place in Manhattan and uh, stops by to visit. Um, and as we hear from the conversation between Kate and Pete, Uncle Rob and Aunt, Aunt Georgette are in France while their house is being renovated. Well, yeah, they're the reason everyone went to Paris yeah, last year. Yeah, they're the reason everyone went to Paris. And I think... Because they're daughters. Re- reno- renovation may be putting it lightly, because this thing is, in, <laughs> in many places, it's torn down to studs. There are huge holes in the floor. So this is, um, I guess, it, you know, it's technically not a teardown, because it is the walls and the roof are standing for the most part, the exterior walls, but... The interior is a lot more than being renovated here. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll see a lot more of that when we get inside later. At this point, Kevin knocks on the door and there is no answer. And we get a little look at the uh, the state of things, the construction that's going on inside. And uh, again, it's, it's a little more than just renovation. <laughs> well, they got money. Yeah, apparently this McAllister clan. Their, their daughter's going to school in France. They travel there two years in a row. Uh, their the house that they're actually the address they use sold for four point seven million in two thousand nine. Yeah, nice and it's right. Is it right on Central Park? Do I have the right block? Um, it's only a couple blocks off. I don't know. Fifty one West. 51, it's pretty close. Yeah. Fifty one. Yeah. Fifty one West ninety five. Although the one we see is Brownstone Street at University. Studios. The the townhouse, that's all set. That's all in, in Hollywood or in LA and uh well, not yeah, in you New can, York. But you can tell that that's what LA people think a New York brownstone or flat <laughs> or whatever looks, looks like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because that house is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well and he seems to they move around a lot and kind of wonder about the encounters and the encounters we'll see later between Kevin and Pigeon Lady, because we first see Pigeon Lady, as you, as, as Curtis, as you mentioned, the, the plaza is right across the street from the southeast corner of, uh, of Central Park. And we see earlier, while Kevin's kind of wandering around the city, does some sightseeing, and then eventually he heads to the hotel, because I guess that's probably the only hotel he knows in New York. He knows the plaza from, uh, from Celebrity Ding Dang Dong. And uh, walking through the, that section of the park by the ice skating rink by Woolman Rink, and he kind of we don't he doesn't notice it, but we see the pigeon lady in the background as he passes through, and then, um, but in this case he runs into her. He must I I I can only assume he's still near the um, the the townhouse because we even see because that so we know the address from seeing the father's address book that it's on 95th street. Uh, we even see a, a street sign as Kevin is walking around that says 96th street. Um, so he's, um, well, we also see him walking along yeah. though, for a bit and he gets the tax. Right. Well, that's so probably several, it could be several blocks, but the, so the plaza is on, it's, I think it's 59th street. 
So he's a good. (laughs) It's a it's a good long walk. He's close to 40 blocks away from the hotel um, running north and south. Now, it's the short blocks along the avenue. But, yeah, he's, you know, between 59th and, and 95th is a lot of streets. That's a lot of walking. Um, yeah, it takes about like, two hours to go around that park on an e-bike without much of a break. Yeah. So if, <laughs> you know, thinking that if the pigeon lady has like a particular corner of the park where she tends to hang out, although I guess this does answer a question that'll come up later in terms of at the, the finale when, uh, when Harry and Marv grab Kevin and drag him into the park, that's after all the hijinks and shenanigans that happened at the townhouse. So it would make sense that that section of the park would be this section of the park that Kevin would wander into now, assuming that he's still close to the family home, uh, Rob and Georgette's. Um, so then the the anomaly is when he when he sees her or when yeah when he sees her earlier close to the hotel, that's kind of her out of her territory, assuming she spends most of her time, you know, in this section further uptown. Yeah, isn't she sort of know. hanging out by Bow Bridge, kind of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. still, you know, honestly, I think we see Bow Bridge, and that's like twenty blocks away still <laughs> from Ninety Fifth Street. <laughs> yeah, so the, the the geography doesn't always uh, always match up, but the point is, so Kevin is kind of wandering around after getting no answer at the uh, the family house there. He wanders into the park. And he's in 1970s yeah. New York. It's, yeah, I like the one thing he he um it's, he jumps it's he jumps in, Go on. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say he jumps into a taxi and he says, Boy, it's scary <laughs> out there. And the driver turns around, ain't much better in here, kid. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is such a what's his name? Mario Mario Tedisco. Mm-hmm. He is just such a great gangster yeah everything he's in i'm trying to think i i i didn't pull up the uh the imdbs but isn't it like uh cadillac man is he hudsucker miller's crossing those kind of movies mm-hmm. he plays parts in those and he's always just a terrible person you're saying he's typecast i yeah <laughs> you know he, he's that he's that sweaty balding fat guy that's scary that that's unpleasant <laughs> It always looks like he's he just got punched in the face. Yeah, so eventually um Kevin Millage Cross. Yeah. Uh yeah, Kevin makes his way into the park and then he uh he notices pigeons. And I think it's a cookie that he takes out of his bag. He kind of yep. feeds the pigeon cuz he's a he's a good-hearted boy, you know, just uh, another little thing to kind of emphasize. Yeah, we're supposed to like this kid. Um, even though he is a st- sadistic killer at heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if he weren't that, he wouldn't have a personality. Yes. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. He feeds birds and he attacks. Have you guys, <laughs> ha- have either of you read the, the novelization of this book? Or read about the novelization? No. Oh, no. No, I read the novelization of the first film. But I didn't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do was there a novelization? I'm sure there was because that was there was it was it was yeah that time it, it was that time of the uh, of life. There's novelization yeah, early nineties. They had that of every movie. Yeah, <laughs> did did you read it or have you heard about the novelization of this film? I read a summary of it today. I wish I 
I wish I would have read it now that I've read a summary because it looks nuts. <laughs> it's almost it's almost Back to the Future good as far as novelizations go. Um, really, that's that's saying something. So in this movie, in this movie, just speaking about Kevin being a serial killer, this is <laughs> this is the one. Oh, this is the trick in Home Alone three. They do a they do a lawnmower that comes down on top of a Mars head or whatever and like chops off the top of his head. Do we remember this? No, Home I don't remember. Okay, I'm not well, sure I ever saw Home Alone. That's 3. one of the gags in Home Alone three that was actually invented for this movie. At the beginning of this movie, Marv wakes up kind of screaming in a in like a panic uh, in his in his cell, mm-hmm. and the book the book just takes that further. The book starts in the dream that he's having. In the dream they're having, they went back to Kevin's house to get revenge on him to kill him, and so Kevin. So in this dream, Kevin was once again. Uh, they did a short version of of Home Alone where Kevin is hurting them in extremely terrible ways. And he went and when he wakes up screaming in this movie, it's because he had just dreamed that Kevin had the lawnmower come down on his head, lured him into the garage where the lawnmower trap was. <laughs> I I wonder if that's not from Home Alone three, but actually Home Alone four, because Home Alone four is. Marv and his girlfriend is is the one. So Home Alone three is completely different people, no McAllisters. But Home Alone four is the one where Peter and Kate are divorced, and oh wow, wow! Marv comes back with his girlfriend to get revenge, and it's but it's a totally different cast, and they have someone else playing Kevin. Very interesting. Well, that's that's the dream that he has at the beginning of this movie. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> Does he end up dead yeah. in, in four? Does he? Does Nobody he dies. Like no, this this it's him? all oh, okay. yeah, it's all cartoon <laughs> violence. So there's no blood, and no one actually ends up dead. Um, although many, yeah, you know, if, if any of these things or many of these things happened in real life, <laughs> there'd be many people dead. But uh, yep. or if these were R-rated movies, you'd have people dead. But because we're going for PG, um, everyone walks away in some form or another. <laughs> um. Yeah, so getting back to the film, and and this is I like this because it shows if no one else in these films has grown, or no one else in the McAllister family has grown and changed and learned in any way, at least Kevin has. So you know, Kevin's feeding the pigeons. A uh, this strange figure arises from behind the rocks. Kevin panics. His foot gets caught in the rocks, and it's a woman who reaches down. Kevin screams, but the woman is only trying to help him. She she frees Kevin's foot. Um, he 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 runs away in a panic, and then he stops. He thinks. He looks back, and it's yeah, it's just a woman feeding pigeons. And so Kevin walks back, and he gives this great speech of well, not maybe speech is too much, but he says, "I'm sorry, I screamed in your face." Maybe great's too much. I'm sorry, I screamed in your face. You were just trying to help, right? His speech here, yeah, his speech here, it's a little on the nose in terms of obviousness, mm-hmm. um, but I I do like that they at least showed that he had some growth from the first movie. What well, he learned right. from Old Man Marley, yeah. I mean, and it certainly it's a little bit of exposition of, you know, emotional exposition to say, right. Yes, I've I've grown and I've changed, but it's also not entirely out of character for a small child to say the things that maybe could be left unsaid. 
to go so far as to say, you know, at first you look scary, but when I think about it, it's not so bad, which is still kind of insulting, like to say, yeah, not that you're a nice lady. Also, he should be nicer to Harry and Marv then. Yeah. I mean, they look scary, but maybe they're not so bad. He's been a whole. Oh, they're bad. He spent several times with them last year. You know, actually, in terms of scary people that he meets, on his way to meet meeting the pigeon lady, he he, he runs into a crowd there that is scary. Actually, scary. If my <laughs> if my kid had run into these people, I'd be very worried for him. No, they were nice. One of them offered to read him a story. One of them told him to like watch out. They were being helpful. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, 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 and I kind of took the, that little bit, particularly that little section of the film, like the last minute or so, the, the, the section between when he leaves the, the townhouse and when he meets the pigeon lady as this is a, a scared child alone in the city. And so everything's kind of, um, you know, exaggerated. I mean, that made, you know, the, the cab driver may have just turned around and said, where to kid, you know, where, you, where are you going? But in his mind, it, it turned into something else. So I don't necessarily well, take that section got, literally. They have to do that. Cause by the time he's done with the section we're talking about, he's basically saying dispute his family. When mm-hmm. he's been having a great time by himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as one does for a little bit. And then you start to miss the family. Yeah, so he has a little conversation with the pigeon lady. Turns out she's she's not so scary, and uh, and Kevin's not a pain in the butt. He asks, you know, am I bothering you? No, good. I'm not a pain in the butt. No, um, and that's nice. She hasn't spoken with them yet. Yeah. So we're like, this is like, I don't know, like ninety percent of the old man Marley arc from Home Alone, and it's done halfway through the movie, in terms of just Kevin realizing, you know. Grown-ups aren't necessarily scary. They're just grown-up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Kevin is cold. He offers to, you know, offers to buy the lady a drink, ever the gentleman. <laughs> offers to buy her hot <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> and, uh, you know, says, uh, can we go someplace warm? And she says, yes, I know a place. Cut to Carnegie Hall. Talk about understatement. You know, if you know a place, that's a place. <laughs> And it's there the, is um, a, yeah. a according to this movie, there is a path to the attic of Carnegie Hall mm-hmm. that you can get into from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> and not only is it the attic, but it's also where the sound guys go or the light guys go to rig their lights. <laughs> and they don't check it between shows. The lights are just there and it's fine. <laughs> well, it's during the show, so that's true. That's true. The lights are already set. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, so this is a show. I mean, we see the orchestra. They're in, they're in their, you know, the dress, the the black tie. We see the audience. So this is not a, a rehearsal. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it makes sense that a stage they'd have sort of a like an, an attic. You know, they'd have a space up there where people can go and adjust the lights. That there would necessarily not be anyone there during a performance to kind of monitor things and that there'd be some way to to get there from the outside apparently now this also i mean this kind of draws in some questions of of geography because so carnegie hall is on it's on 7th avenue but it's between 56th and 57th 
so it's quite close. It's only a couple blocks away from the hotel, but it's it's a two mile walk from uh, you know from the uncle's house on 95th Street. I just mapped it out, and it's yeah, it's 2.2 miles, estimated 45 minute walk. So kind of brings us back to thinking, or brings me back to thinking that the you know all the encounters with the pigeon lady must happen closer to the hotel. And I guess there in this fictional home alone world, Manhattan, you know, just there's, there's a fold there or there's a big jump, you know, kind of the streets, they go from the fifties the to the nineties and there's nothing in between either that or, or these people do a lot more walking than they're showing us. Kevin gets around. Yeah. Kevin gets around. Yeah. Somehow this is turning into a uh, geography minute covering uh, <laughs> the streets of Manhattan. But uh, the uh, important well, thing... And that's kind of unfair because movies that are set in New York, really, it's just, hey, it's New York. We're going to see... We're going to see the Statue of Liberty. We're going to see the Plaza Hotel. We're going to see Central Park. We're going to see all the things in New York, regardless if it would be a three-hour walk or not. Yeah. And we just yeah. go, well, that's New York. New York. Yeah, somehow on his first day there, after... Um, after flying, so it can't be probably not too late, but it can't be too early because he's flown in from Chicago. But he manages to see Radio City Music Hall, a Midtown Diner, the World Trade Center, all the way south to Battery Park, Chinatown, the Fulton Fish Market, back to Central Park to check into a hotel. And it's still daylight late in December when uh, when sundown is going to be around 4.30 p.m., <laughs> Yeah, and you've got you've got time to make it to any one of those is how that yeah. really works. Yeah. Unless you're super good at the subway. And then and then he ends up because he wants to see a Christmas tree, ends up back at Rockefeller. Yeah. By the, the end kid of the gets movie. around. This he is does. a magical kid. Um He doesn't even have a skateboard. <laughs> yeah. Well though is at this point he still has a, an envelope full of cash, so he may be just cabbing it all over the place. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I never thought about that. That would be a fast way to do it. Yeah. Especially back the in the 90s. only way to do it. Back in the yeah. 90s. That's that's how we'll explain everything. We'll just say back in the 90s. <laughs> when in <laughs> doubt. Um, so the important thing is not how we got here, but that they are here in the attic of Carnegie Hall, where not only are like lights and sound, but they've got like old instruments and, and props and set decoration. But uh, I could see, and I guess that's, you know, kind of fits in part of the messages or part of the story is you've got these people that sort of fall through the cracks that nobody sees anymore. So they can kind of go wherever they want in a way and, and no one sees them. So that this pigeon lady can kind of slip into Carnegie Hall unnoticed. It's a, in, in real life, it's that horror movie that you always see, the version of the hobo lives in the walls that's going to get you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. The, the children under the stairs sort of thing and then so like a good chunk of half like seven and a half minutes or seven minutes of this section is this talk of kevin and the pigeon lady uh their little heart to heart um in the attic here with uh, with the pigeons as well this is sort of open to the air but i get some touching moments and uh we should talk a little bit about the actress here that's playing playing the pigeon lady are either of you familiar with this actress oh. He's nobody of consequence. <laughs> <laughs> this, of course, is the great uh, Brenda Fricker. Um, great actress. She's actually on the list. She's number 26 
on the list of 50 greatish, greatest Irish actors or Irish film actors of all time. Um, so respectable, uh, 26, probably just, you know, just to be on the list is great. Um, in case you're curious, number one, Maureen O'Hara, but, uh, yeah, so she's, and then another, another kind of tie in or not another, but, a a cute little tie into this film. So, um, Brenda won the, uh, Academy Award for best supporting actress for my left foot in 1990. And the way the award ceremony goes is they kind of flip flop where like the best, uh, the best actor gives the award to the best actress and the best actress gives the award to the best actor. So for winning in 1990, uh, she returned in 1991 to present the Oscar, uh, the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor to Joe Pesci, uh, who was winning that year for Goodfellas. <laughs> um, <laughs> Perfect. And of course, uh, a year later in 1992, they'd end up co-starring in Home Alone 2. Uh, I guess it's a s- small this world. A, this is a pretty juicy part for someone to get. It's it's Home Alone 2, so it's going to be big. And it was. I think it mm-hmm. was a reasonable hit. And she gets kind of the memorable uh, Mr. Marley role in this one. And that is kind of a big deal, which is which is a weird thing to say now, 20 years later, to think about getting a role in Home Alone 2 as a big deal. But I mean... You know, Trump was in this thing. It was it was huge. <laughs> well, at the time, Home, Home Alone, I, I believe at the time, was the top box office, was like the biggest, gr- highest grossing comedy of all time. And it's probably oh, yeah. still still near the top. I mean, you had your, um, you know, your Gone with the Wind and Star Wars and, and various blockbusters of that type. But, Those but, aren't comedies. You know, which... Uh, Depends on your sense of humor. I mean, anything can be a comedy if you're uh, if you're twisted enough. But uh, uh, you know, Home Alone was a huge phenomenon, um, and and yeah, again, one of the top grossing comedies, uh, if not still number one at that point. So a part in Home Alone too, and I think this is. I mean, I haven't timed it out in terms of of screen time or scenes, but this is a little bit a uh, little bit of a bigger part, I think, than even um, Old Man Marley. Maybe not as many individual appearances. I think Marley kind of shows up in more different scenes, but I don't know if um, um, I should probably time it out. But I don't recall like that church scene with Marley kind of going quite as long. And plus, that's also at the very end of the film where this is I mean, it's a two hour film and this section starts one hour in. So this is sort of dead center of the film. And we've got two characters sitting there holding a conversation for seven minutes um, that's a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a supporting part, but it's a pretty big part. It's, uh, this is the part where I, where I say the uncomfortable thing though, I think, um, I was kind of disappointed no, with her role compared to Marley because they, they couldn't do the scary guy that's misunderstood again. Mm-hmm. They, they hinted at it, you know, she was coming at him with her hands, with her scary hands and he was stuck in the rock, but then he immediately he immediately goes back and he's like, you know, you're not really scary. You're just, you know, trying to help, weren't you? And we don't have that tension now of this other thing happening to him. So this movie, right. it, it's kind of the reason, it's kind of the reason this movie, I think, is not as good. There, I mean, there are a lot of things going on here where it's like, really, they forgot him again. There's, you know, there's many issues, but there isn't this, there isn't also this scary thing for him to deal with. Yeah. The only thing he's got is the thieves and we're not right. scared of them as an audience. Cause he's already beat them. 
Well, and it's we've already seen him beat the crap out of them. It's got a structural problem too with what uh, Sean was just saying. Yeah, this is over an hour into the movie, but structurally, this is the same point in the story as that scene with Old Man Marley. Yeah, because all that's left is going home and fighting the two yeah. guys. Yeah, it just takes longer here. It yeah, it it doesn't take that next step, which I guess is you know I don't want to. I don't want to shame a filmmaker for showing growth in the character, but it doesn't go that next step. So we've seen, so Kevin shows that growth that he had with old man Marley to realize, okay, you look strange to me through the eyes of a child. You're a scary adult, but I can stop. I can think about it. I can try to be more objective and realize you're different, but that doesn't make you scary. But that doesn't mean you're scary. And that's, that's the end of his growth. Yeah, in terms of his relationship with this with this character, it kind of it's nice that you made that breakthrough an hour into the film, but then yeah, he doesn't go, you know, he doesn't grow more than that. I don't not I mean, kind of there's there's a little bit of closure, I don't know, closure. There's there's another scene at the end where he gives her the the dove, but yeah, um, yeah, there's that. But that doesn't really grow past this point. Like we've seen they're friends here. They're you know, so it doesn't go past that. And then she doesn't grow. Where old man Marley, we get the, there, you know, he's reunited. He reaches out and we see him with the son and the granddaughter at the end. He gets growth. In the end, Pigeon Lady is still Pigeon Lady, you know, feeding birds in the park. She doesn't get the, the character arc that Marley got. Well, let's play screenwriter for a second. Because Please this do. sounds like kind of a, that's kind of a tough, a tough subject here. Mm-hmm. How does she grow? She is okay. Let's figure it out. She's a, a homeless lady. How could she? Who has possibly been abused at some point and ends up out in the streets, out under a bridge in Central Park, being the pigeon lady, throwing the things up in the air and, and summoning the pigeons and and having them be all over her. She's that. She's that woman. What's what's her growth? She doesn't. She doesn't talk about a family to go home to. We would have had to have talk about a family. That was missing her. Well, we we need the man who left her to be a character in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And that changes the whole plot. Yeah. I mean, so we, we kind of like, the, 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 maybe he's the guy who he's the guy who owns the books, the uh, toy store. Oh, or something. There you yeah. go. That would be good. Oh, hey. And let's see. What is she to him? So that then Kevin is doing more than just beating those two guys. He's also helping these two people get together like he did with old man Marley, but maybe more directly. Yeah. Um, because there's an indication, obviously we don't, we don't, and we don't want to spend too much time with these side characters, but it doesn't take a lot. We, you know, all we need to see Kevin looks out the window and he sees the son and the granddaughter, you know, mm-hmm. walking up to Marley's house. And then we can fill in the blanks. We don't need a scene with them. We just know, Oh, family is reunited. They're all good. Um, you know, so all we need is he has some indication of just seeing, uh, you know, seeing pit. Well, a name would be nice, but uh, you know, pigeon lady. Yes. See, a, and there's 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 a uh, a scripted scene that I don't think was ever filmed where they uh, we learned her name is Annie. You know, so if we had a scene with Annie <laughs> being reunited that we can kind of build on to be like, okay, she's grown in her you know her conversations with with Kevin helped her, but we don't we don't get that. I mean, they kind of. They have another moment at the end, but then it's, you know, Kevin goes back to his his luxury suite in the plaza and leaves this poor woman in the snow and the cold in, in the Fine, park. because she has a little turtle dove. <laughs> and it's okay. like, great, now I've, okay. got, I've got this thing I've got to carry around with me. 
in the home that I don't have. Well, we haven't even gotten into their conversation, like the details. It's like he doesn't even know she's homeless. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of a problem. He's Yeah, he's kind of naive. Like, he, he kind of gives a similar, you know, a similar message that he gave to Marley, where Marley's like, well, you know, I had an argument with my son and we don't talk anymore. And he's like, hey, you know, hey, give him a call. The worst that happens is you continue not to talk. And, you know, she's like, well, you know, at one point my my heart got broken. And so I stopped, you know, I closed off my heart and I stopped trying. And he's like, hey, you know, you should keep trying where it's like, uh, you know, she's got other issues. I don't think she's, you know, spending all her time with birds in the park just because someone broke her heart once. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to open up my heart and then the bank is going to give me a mortgage so I can have a home. And you know the the crazy real estate market like is gonna is gonna soften because I've softened my heart. Like there's <laughs> there's bigger issues here. The you know by 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 choosing this character, and I guess it's they were kind of doomed when they set this in New York versus Winnetka. So it, you know it couldn't just be a neighbor, um, you know, a mysterious neighbor on their street. But by you know choosing this kind of character for Kevin to to interact with that that's got you know, presented as having issues way beyond anything Kevin's going to be able to help with. You can't just serve up a platitude, be like, uh, you need to open your heart. Oh, that's why I'm homeless, because I didn't open up my heart. Well, thank you. You know, thank you, child who lives in a mansion. I just had to go buy a house. <laughs> All these years. Yeah. <laughs> so how would she, I mean, in real life, there would have to be some sort of mental illness, maybe some kind of drug thing happening. She gets food from somewhere to feed the, the pigeons. Is she just begging for that? People just giving her like a... It's just tuppence, don't you know? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know that word. Sorry. It's the Mary Poppins reference. Oh, feed okay. okay. Tuppence a bag. Oh, tuppence, gotcha. tuppence a bag. Yeah, I wondered if this was kind of a re- reference or based on or somehow related to uh, feeding you know, the, the pigeons in uh, Mary Poppins. It feels like she yeah. is, but it doesn't feel like anything else at all is a reference to that. Yeah. Because I mean, one of the well, things it comes, back, it, it comes back to the yeah. writing. You know, they, yeah. they, they won. They didn't have Kevin learn that she was homeless because the movie would then be about him helping her. Because if he really yeah. has grown, then he'd be like, holy crap, you're homeless. Ah, ah, let's get your room. I've got yeah. a bag of money. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. I've figuring, got this. Let's start figuring things out here, and then and then mom would come, and mom would be like, "What's going on here?" And he's like, "She she helped me, and now we have to help her." And he takes her back to and she beca- takes takes her back to Illinois, becomes their nanny, and fixes her up with old man Marley. Yeah. Oh, there you oh, go. I like I like, I like this. That. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We tie it all back together. Yeah. But yeah. Then it becomes the plot. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Well, and that, that becomes interesting because then that's a different twist of um, then we don't have to rely on the credit card, you know, getting reported as stolen for the reason that Kevin can't go back to the plaza. It's just, well, he says, hey, listen, you need a place to stay. I've got this huge suite. Um, why don't you come back to the hotel with me? And then the concierge is probably wary, is judging by appearance, is wary of kind of homeless people and vagrants in the neighborhood sees this woman coming up and knows that, you know, or just assumes like, you know, there's no way this woman can be a guest can afford to stay at this hotel and runs her off. 
And then Kevin runs off with her, figure, oh, we're just not welcome. Me and my friend are not welcome at the Plaza Hotel anymore. Oh, no, even better. If she's not welcome, then I'm not welcome. There you go. Yeah. Even better. Yeah. Because he's grown and he's a good kid now. Yes. Yeah, that's a way, that's a way better idea. Yeah. And now he really is lost in New York, sort of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's it's, it's another thing. I don't know if it's come up before in the podcast, but... Um, this being like the the two, you know, the sequel, they build a lot of things. There's some some gags that repeat that have to be bigger or they're or they're double, like yep. the um, like the slip and fall that that Harry and Marv do in the first film when they they slip on the um, the toy cars, the the micro machines. Where here they have first they have Harry and Marv slip on the pearls from the cheap necklaces that that Kevin spreads in the in the street. And then when he gets back to the hotel, you have the concierge and the bellboy run into the desk clerk and all three of them, you know, do a similar kind of fall. So they repeat it and they build from two to three where it's the the Kevin. Kevin's always operating alone. And I kind of felt like he should have, you know, it should be like two kids together fighting, um, fighting the bandits instead of just the one kid. Like have that build in, you know, as the sequels go. And then this could be like his partner in crime. Oh, yeah. Like she that could too. be like the Robin to his Batman. Or, yeah, she could be a kid. Oh, or, oh she, she could have be been a kid. kid. She could have been a kid. She could have been a kid. Oh, yeah. And then, and then she would provide a, a vital piece of information at a vital time that Kevin couldn't have gotten himself. That helps him defeat the wet bandits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now they're the sticky bandit. He needs adopted. They go yeah. home. Sarah got 13. They may as well have 14. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, you're, you're, are they you really going to notice? notice in a, they don't notice when one is missing, so they're not going to notice when <laughs> one is added, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, have it be yeah, I like this. I, I want to rewrite this. I want to I do this go. again. <laughs> I can't wait until computers advance enough so we can just redo movies. But <laughs> so we can the right redo way. movies. So that the, the, the pigeon lady is a, is a kid, is a girl, and then she goes, <laughs> and then they go to the hotel, they get run off, and then, um, and then uh, yeah, Kevin and the girl team up against the sicky bandits. Yeah. Also, there should be a first kiss. That makes all of uh, Kevin's anxiety go away. There you go. Yeah. He, he grows. That's, that's his growth for this movie. Like, oh, yes. Things are, okay. Things are going to be okay. <laughs> the things are going to be okay. Wait, when did my girl come out? That might be a little close. <laughs> true. True. That was was that before this? Ninety one. Yeah. It was in ninety one. So in between Home Alone and Home Alone Two, and even the same actress would have worked fine. Would have been great. Oh uh, mm, yeah. She she has that that range of sort of like could play sort of homeless, mentally ill. Like she was pretty good. Anna Klumsky, is that her mm-hmm. name? Yeah, yeah, that's yep. the actress who she was would have in, made. A, uh, she would have made an amazing uh, pigeon, pigeon lady. Yeah, pigeon which I, I've never actually seen. My girl, but I've seen um, Anna Klumsky as as an adult um, in several things, and um, yeah, she can act. So I, I can believe that she could probably mm-hmm. act as a, as a child as well. Wait, she was an Uncle Buck. Huh. I guess oh, I have yeah. seen her as a kid. She was an Uncle Buck. So yeah. So there you go to get the team back together. She was with she was uh, <laughs> in Uncle Buck with Macaulay Culkin. 
I knew they'd have chemistry. I knew they had chemistry. I knew those kids had chemistry. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm just clicking around Wikipedia and I saw something about the the spinoff TV series. Apparently, there was an Uncle Buck TV series, but no, Anna Klumski yes. was in the Uncle Buck film, written and directed by John Hughes. Well, and that's how he yeah. knew. You know, from Uncle Buck, he knew Macaulay Culkin to uh, to recommend yeah. him for the Home Alone. So why not? Yeah. Yeah, the John Hughes world is very small. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we get John Candy yeah, and, and Ali Sheedy in this, in such a small part. Well, yeah, yeah. As the um, the, the 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 bothered uh, desk agent or ticket agent at the airport, who uh, another adult that's like just bothered, like, no, I don't worry about where you are or that you may be lost or in trouble, little kid. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Um, but I think there's, you know, things like this, the, the, the issues, um, with this scene don't bother me too much because it's, it's a Christmas film. It's a kid's film. Um, you know, to a certain extent, we're not supposed to kind of poke too hard at the, the holes, but I do think it would have been better as a little girl. Well, yeah, Maybe you. we're, we are, <laughs> I mean, what we're doing is we're creating, we're, we're making this into a good drama mm -hmm. and. It's uh, it's a comedy where bad guys get their butts kicked cartoonishly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's it's a comedy, and they... one of the things that one of the things that watching this, you know what? Say your line first, because then mine will fit in. Well, I was just gonna say it's it's a comedy, but you know, being a holiday comedy, they sprinkle in these serious scenes. You know, this this particularly this seven minute section, this conversation that they have is there's no jokes. Like this isn't the comedy bit, but that's just kind of makes it you know a holiday film. You have to have sort of the you have to touch the heartstrings sort of things, and and this is really just setting up the exchange of the turtle doves for later. And and that's kind of one of the things that that leads into a. It, kind of the last topic I have really for this minute, mm -hmm. other than just picking apart where they're, they are ge geographically and stuff. <laughs> there was just so much movie before you get to like a little bit of beating up bad guys at the end going on here with kind of no, no real buildup. We get one menacing scene where he runs into him, runs into the, the wet bandits earlier and then kind of nothing. He just has these adventures through New York. It's like, it's almost like this was a different movie about a kid called Lost in New York. And then they, you know, the studio got a hold of it and said, Hey, let's do the wet bandit thing for the last 45 minutes of this movie. And we'll stick them together and we'll have home alone too. lost in New York. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's why the, the structure is wrong. Like the first movie, he keeps interacting with them. And they come to the house and he tricks yeah. them more than once. Yeah. So by the time you get to a final fight, there's been buildup. This one, it, there hasn't really been buildup. No, it's just a different movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's... But it keeps trying to be the same movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's just that chase. There's, yeah, the one chase after they run into him at the toy store. Um, and, yeah, then not much after that. Um Although there is, and then, well, there is a, a, a it's, I mean, it's very short, but there is a section when he, um, when he gets run out of the hotel after the, the card gets reported as stolen and, and he makes his way out. He kind of sneaks out the back through the loading dock and they pick him up there, but it's, it's just a short walk. They, they're, for some reason, they're taking him to the to Central Park, but it's, it's daytime. Like you could see at night, like, okay, we want to kill this kid. We're going to take him to the park and, 
no one's going to be there, but they do it during the day. But uh, then he gets away from them and he, he runs off into the park. But pretty much that scene is just long enough for for them to describe their plan to to rob the toy store and yeah. for Kevin to record it with the talk boy. Um, sure. And that's the, the kind of just, you know, it's very short, so the the tension or the danger doesn't build, and that kind of doesn't really. I don't think it's needed because yes, in the end, they we see that Kevin has left the you know the Polaroid pictures and the recording that he's left for the police to be discovered at the toy store. But um, I think they've I think they're going to pick up that someone was trying to you know someone robbed the toy store. They don't need a recording to tell them that the register has been emptied and this chest of money was stolen. Uh, you know, I figure they can probably police that out themselves. So uh, we could probably Evan just doesn't know that. Yeah. Um, he watches old gangster movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he watch watches way old, too many. Does he watch the same old gangster movie again? No, it's a sequel. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Which annoyingly just happens to also be a Christmas film. <laughs> yes. And I'm very disappointed in in none of the sequels. So the first one, it was Angels with Filthy Souls. And then in this one, it's Angels with Filthier Souls. We never get Angels with Filthiest Souls. Like there's an idea. You need to close out the trilogy. You can't just leave it at filthier. You've got to go to the filthiest. <laughs> Um, there's, there's a lot left on the table here. There's, there's a lot to explore, um, in, in, you know, the, the home alone cinematic universe that's left to be done, but, uh, <laughs> but don't, but, you know, but these movies, how many of these movies are there now? Are they up to six yet? <laughs> there are, yeah, it's six now, right? With the new one, they are on six, or they're they're making six, or there, there are six and they're making seven. There are, so there's five. There's five in the, the Home Alone series. Only the first two were theatrical release. The, the rest we're talking yeah. about direct to. Well, the fourth was supposed to be a TV pilot. Yeah, which I don't know how the kid gets left home alone every week. I don't know how that, that was ever going to well, work. his parents were divorced, so they didn't pay attention yeah. to him at all. He would always be like, <laughs> the he mother thinks he's. Every week, taken the TV yeah. series. <laughs> taken the series, yeah. Um, yeah, so, but there were, so there are five sort of, yeah, five in the home alone series, then the, the recent home sweet home alone, um, which is in, you know, which is in oh, Winnetka, yeah. Illinois and is in the, the, you know, the same, uh, you know, cinematic universe. That's the sixth one I'm, with people. Now there's, there's pups alone. I'm kind of interested in seeing that. Uh, no, you're not. McCulkin, McCulkin, <laughs> oh, I always screw this name up. Collie McCulkin is Macaulay going Culkin. to be in that as an adult, right? no, uh, oh, there's okay. not enough money in Hollywood, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, no, I, it, based on statements that, that Macaulay has made, I don't think there's enough money in Hollywood. Now, uh, Buzz uh, returns, uh, Devin returns, the actor who plays Buzz returns as a, you know, as police, as a, you know, grown up police officer oh, in Winnetka, well, Illinois. That's just, so that's, um, so, that, so that makes we, me sad for the actor. Yeah. I mean, we, we know it's in, in the same world, but, uh, yeah, so there's the Home Sweet Home Alone, and then there's I, I haven't seen it. I just recently discovered that there's Pups Alone. So there's a dog version where a dog gets left home alone and has to protect the house from burglars. Um, oh my God, what are we doing watching this? <laughs> I, I, there's good I, boys I'm, protecting. There's good boys protecting the house. Yes, there are good boys protecting the house. Uh, I'm not sure if that, you know, if that's in the same universe, if that uh, takes place in Winnetka, Illinois. I have to, maybe that'll be the holiday special 
next year. Although it does, um, uh, to tie it in, Rob Schneider is in, um, you know, like, but he's as a voice, I guess, a voice of, of one of the dogs. Rob Schneider is in um, that Pups Alone, who is in, you know, of course, the current Home Alone two that we're talking about, but also um, also supplying a voice, I assume, for a different dog is Malcolm McDowell, who was in Home Alone. Um, actually, that uh, Home Alone four, the um, the ho- Home Alone, which is it's officially called Home Alone: The Holiday Heist. Or I'm sorry, no, this is this is Home Alone five. Yeah, no, sorry. This fact. is. It, Wait, you know, what, uh, <laughs> I need I need a little orientation now. We've been going back and forth. Which one is the one with the computerized home? That's yeah. That's Home Alone Five, um, where gotcha, it's like yeah, gotcha. the, the smart house and everything. So yeah, but uh, so Malcolm McDowell was in Home Alone Five, uh, Home Alone: The Holiday Heist, and is also supplies one of the voices in in Pups Alone. So there's there's a few ties to the like the human between the human Home Alone and the dog Home Alone. <laughs> um, so yeah, I have not seen it yet because I just it was just a few days ago where the thought popped in my head. Hey, has anyone ever done Home Alone but with dogs? And uh, I yeah, I did a web search of Home Alone but with dogs, and <laughs> and yes, uh, so someone has done it. Um, though I was disappointed, it's not in the um, the Buddies series. I expected it to be one of those like you know, there's there's space buddies and adventure buddies. I thought there'd be like Buddies Alone or something, but. Uh, but yeah, there is Pups Alone, um, which is another way they could have, you know, switch it up instead of just, you know, kind of the same, oh, a boy left home alone. Um, do something different. Sure. Bring in daughters, bring in puppies, bring in all kinds of things. So that's about, I think that covers all my notes um, for this. I'll just I'll just wrap it up to say so after leaving um, the Pigeon Lady at Carnegie Hall, uh, Kevin is uh, making his way back to. The plaza, I assume, and passes by the St. Anne's Hospital for Children. He doesn't pass by. He sees the cross from like a mile away. Oh, okay. And goes there. Okay. I didn't quite make that connection. That's so that, oh, that's the same kind of shining star that he sees. Yeah. Okay. Um, Because when he leaves, she tells him what you say about the star in your heart or whatever. And then he goes outside and sees a star. That's right. Oh my god, I forgot all about that. The, we we didn't even get into whether or not she's a serial killer. Yeah. Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> the Kevin, I just have to complain about this. Kevin not only goes to a secondary location with a stranger, he asks to go to a secondary location with a stranger. He is just asking for her to feed him to the pigeons. <laughs> See, I would flip oh that god. around where... <laughs> She goes to the secondary location with him, particularly what we know. And then he just throws ornaments at her. What we know this child is is capable of. Yeah, I think I'm more concerned oh, with her is. when he says, hey, listen, let's go get some hot chocolate. You want to go somewhere? She, he's <laughs> like, the one that says she's the one that says I know a place. Right. Yeah. She's she she suggests the place, but he's the one who says, "Let's go to a second location." Like this is a little bit too public. I need some place. You know, I've got. I need to set up my kill room somewhere. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> he doesn't have all his tools, though. He's stuck with his. I guess it's his father's bag. Yeah, or... but yeah, this kid can improvise. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, there's a lot of stuff in this room he could have killed her with. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, Grab an old harp or something. Yeah. But that's, so that is that is a nice little through line, though. He says, you know, think of, uh, you know, think of the things you can do for others. Just follow the star in your heart. And then, like you said, Robert, he sees the star atop the children's hospital and then follows that. He sees he sees a, a boy, presumably sick boy, sitting in a window. And then we get the voiceover of Mr. Duncan saying all the money in the register. Mr. Duncan is going to donate it to the children's hospital. And then then Marv at midnight tonight, we're hitting Duncan's toy chest. And Kevin yeah. says, you can mess with a lot of things, but you can't mess with a kid on Christmas. Or you can't mess with kids on Christmas. Which is a great double meaning when you're watching Home Alone. What, the, the, you can't mess with kids on Christmas? Yeah. Because he, because <laughs> right, what just... what he means is you can't mess with kids on Christmas. He's going to steal their money. But mm-hmm. also, if you mess with kids on Christmas, you're going to end up getting a blowtorch to your scalp. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, and so that uh, that brings us to the end of this section, part five. Yeah, of my, Home Alone 2. my my last bit of notes here is uh, as the cheesy Christmas music came on mm-hmm. as he's walking to the hospital, uh, I realized he's been missing for three days. Mm-hmm. And St. Anne, the hospital, is that's the mother of Mary. And so I decided, you know, I'm Groundhog Day Project guy, to check Kevin's score as a Christ figure. Mm. And I won't go through the whole list because that would take too long, but he got a 22 out of 25. That's pretty what? good. Hit the highlights. So. <laughs> well, specifically, I mean, some of the things are people related to him do them, but uh, someone specifically references Jesus Christ when he does something later in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a cruciform pose with her standing there with the pigeons. Mm. It, yeah. It's a whole bunch of yeah. different things. And I was like, that's, that's a good score. Nice. Do you think, is that just a, a thing people have been noticing? Is that a, is that an archetype? Is that the right word? Archetype for well, characters? It, it was basically a, uh, I think it was a Jewish researcher who did, made a list and then I've kind of adopted it and altered it. Uh, when I was doing my blog and I wrote a paper about it in school. Man, I love your blog. I really like how you think. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So he got 22 out of 25. The only ones he didn't get is he's not 33 mm-hmm. or 30. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he never really wears Jesus clothes. And we don't even see the little manger scene. So we don't get to see someone wearing those clothes. And uh, his initials aren't JC. I mean, those are the only ones that you really got an outright no on. Yeah. Close. Um, and he does have it. it uh, Trying to think in the um, in the opening part in the um, the when he when he's singing in the the choir at the the school concert, he's in a robe. Mm-hmm. I think he's in like he has like a, a, a choral robe, but I don't oh, know. If that, you're right. I don't know if that counts as uh, you know Jesus wear. Well, usually the for the Jesus guard point, it's that they wear that same thing like throughout the movie. Like their kind of person hangs out in their simple clothes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he almost gets it for that, yeah. yeah. Alright, we'll work on it. I, I was doing so well the whole show, and then one time I got it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Curtis, any any final thoughts? Um, and, 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 and Robert as well, like, not just on this section, but anything on uh, on the, the film or, or Home Alone as a, you know, the Home Alone cinematic universe, anything you want to add? Uh, I'll go I, first. Oh, Robert, okay, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> well, okay, I'll go. Go ahead. Um, I don't think I've seen any of the rest of them, and I'm glad, because I think this one is a really pale imitation of the first one. 
that is too long. Yes. And tries too much to wedge in scenes like this. I mean, the scene is okay, but I don't know that it earns it. Unlike Marley, where we've earned it by then. We care mm-hmm. what, what's up with this old man. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have much to add from what Robert said. Um, I, I will say this. I remember I went to this movie when it came out in theaters. I was excited to go watch it because I loved Home Alone so much. Uh, it, just, it just hit me in the right spot. And watching it was like, eh, it got kind of boring. If I would have had a cell phone to look at uh, when I was watching it back then, I would have. But, you know, it's always, it's okay. And it, and it makes me a little sad that they couldn't have made it great because the elements were there. Uh, it's a little weird that Kevin gets lost again, but but it, it, it was reasonably plausible. The, the setup was reasonably plausible. They could have taken this thing places. Yes. And instead, oh, it just kind of walks around for a while and then just tags the... the end of the other movie on it only also yeah. eh, i also don't care at the end as much as i did the first one you know there it's very emotional when mom sees kevin for the first time and this time it's mm-hmm. just like eh, mom sees kevin well as i said before she doesn't it didn't take a struggle for her to get there yeah. right yeah. It's, it, it's strange for a for a film that's longer for it's about 17 minutes longer but there's you know, in some important respects, there's less. So, yeah, there's um, less time. you know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't go back in time the the scene in the church where Kevin and and Old Man Marley are speaking. But I think, you know, I think this is a longer scene with the pigeon lady than Kevin has with Marley. But Marley, if he doesn't have more screen time, has more different scenes. You know, even if it's just, you know, he's outside. Uh, you know, shoveling snow or the, the scene in the drugstore where Kevin is trying to buy a, you know, he's asking about the toothbrush. Is it, you know, mm-hmm. approved by the American Dental Association? Then Marley shows up and, and Kevin gets spooked and runs out without paying for the toothbrush. I mean, Marley, I, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 seconds, but it, it goes to, it's an appearance of the character and builds on it where, we pretty much for the pigeon lady, we he sees her once in the park where she's just in the background. There's this section here where there's like 10 minutes of just them together. And then he goes to then, you know, she shows up to save him at the end. And then he says goodbye. Like there's those four appearances. And I think that's the only time she's in the film. So even yeah. if those individual scenes add up to more screen time than Marley gets, um, Marley has more individual appearances. And then the same thing for. Yeah, Kate getting to Kevin. It's, oh, he's in New York. I'm going to fly to New York. I'm going to walk around for a little bit. Oh, he's a kid at Christmas time. He's going to be, he's going to go to the tree at Rockefeller Center and they're reunited. It doesn't have the struggle of, okay, you know, the, the, the airport's closed in Chicago. Where can I fly? All right, I can fly to this city and then I can take a bus and then I can hook up with John Candy and, uh, you know, his polka band. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there, you know, and wow. so that reunion we see we see her struggle and we see her work, whereas this was like yeah, it's not it's it's not as much work, yeah. So it's like so where did where did those extra seventeen minutes come from? <laughs> That's well, yeah, and they even have them end up in a house again, yeah, for the ending when they had a hotel right there, yeah. It could have been bigger and more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah. Such as life, such as uh, such as film, such as cinema. 
<laughs> All right. Well, wrapping up. So um, please let our listeners know. Uh, so, Curtis, if our listeners want to hear more of your uh, your insightful comments, uh, where can they hear you? Well, if you're in the mood to hear two uh, people that have been friends for almost their whole life just joke around and have fun watching a movie together, uh, go check out the Better Off Dead Minute, which we which is still ongoing. And if you want to hear really deep uh, philosophical conversation about life, the universe, God, and everything, uh, come check me out at the Time Bandits Minute, where Duncan and I uh, do that. Yeah, and absolutely. The, both of those are great. I mean, Better Off Dead, of one of my favorite movies of all time. It's just uh, hilarious. And then, uh, you know, Time Bandits, the, the, the Terry Gilliam classic. I mean, that's, and that's, that's a great movie, and it's a, a great podcast. So I certainly encourage folks to, to check that out if they haven't already. Oh, uh, and then I've got a third thing, too. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, anyone who's interested in the goings on, the, the, the criminal element, the, the school things that are happening, sports scores and stuff in the little town of Sac City, Iowa, come check out the Sac yeah. News. There you go. <laughs> check out the Sac we, News. We have at least, we have at least 1300 people. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, and Robert, I know you've got a lot going on and I'm sure, our, you know, anyone who's listening to something that I've done, I'm sure has, has heard your name before, but in case they've forgotten, um, uh, where can folks read, see, and hear more from you? Uh, to read, you can go to groundhogdayproject.com, uh, to hear, you can go to lemmingdrops.com for links to all this stuff. But so far, I had Michael Myers Minute looking at Halloween, Dave Made a Minute looking at Dave Made a Maze, The Room Minute looking at The Room, Annihilation Minute looking at Annihilation, Mandy Sucks Minute looking at Mandy, Cock and Bull Minute in which I looked at lots of movies and avoided talking about uh, Tristram Shandy, Two Minutes About Time, which was about time, Pump Up the Minute, which would pump up the volume, Five Minute Arrival, which was Arrival. Uh, currently, I have running Twin Peaks Radio, which is... A very slow process going through Twin Peaks, and probably starting at the beginning of next year, I have a trio of shows. Groundhog Day Project is now a podcast version of mine, uh, coupled up with um, Minutia Ex Machina, looking at Ex Machina, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Excellent. But lemmingdrops.com, you can find links to all those. Yeah lemmingdrops.com so yeah encourage folks to check that out and you can uh, check that out check us out we are next scene pod on the social media our website is nextscenepod.com um i don't i don't know if i i probably don't give out the email address i don't know if do people email anymore maybe that's just something us old people do but uh we are next scene pod at gmail.com our facebook listeners group is the jelly of the month club so you can kind of tell us about um your strange bird in Central Park stories there. And you can hear us next time on The Next Scene. Mm-hmm.